that's Gucci babies. No idea why I said that. I am out of my mind right now. I am just very tired. All these days that go by with coronavirus and isolation, it almost makes you just lose track of time and days. And I'm starting to feel the effects of not resting. So I'm definitely going to be resting soon. Anyways, welcome to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif. This podcast covers lifestyle, travel, manifestation, and entrepreneurship. Lately, it's been getting pretty into the manifestation piece and entrepreneurship because that is the time of my life that I'm in. If you've listened to this podcast from the very beginning, it's almost been like an audio diary of the phases of my life. And right now, it's very much into building a business, building a brand. I'm trying to not only get this podcast to be something that I really am investing in, but also my yoga brand, Yoga Girl Next Door. If you listen to this podcast in January, I actually had a total shift of heart where I was like, I'm not doing the yoga stuff anymore. Like I need to put all my eggs in the podcast basket. I need to focus on that. I don't feel any drive or passion behind the yoga stuff right now. I'm going to table it. And what I didn't realize is that it would be tabled for such a short time. I thought I was going to revisit that in like a year or two. And now with coronavirus, it just made me realize people need yoga now more than ever. So that brand is Yoga Girl Next Door. I'm focusing on short, easy breezy flows. Definitely something that you can just do after you watch a TV show. You could do it after a flight. You could do it during um, a time that you're just feeling like you really need to move that energy out of your body. And that's something that I found myself works best. I used to be someone that thought you had to burn 500 calories, close your apple rings, sprint, do orange theory, flip tires, do a hundred spin classes a week. Like I was that person before I moved to Australia. If you followed the yoga girl next door account before I put a pause on it, I actually shared that whole story of how my body completely changed. And I think that was from stress and the stress hormone cortisol. I think back in America, it was through the roof because I just wasn't managing it. I was eating at my desk. I was not really resting. I wasn't listening to my body. I was doing 14 workout classes a week at some point. And I quickly learned when I moved to Australia, I think that was the culprit of why my body was not changing. It was too stressed out. So now I'm very much a believer that 20, 30 minutes of movement can totally change your day. I did 25 minutes today and I was sweating my ass off. I'm kind of sore from my class yesterday. That was only 30 minutes and I actually feel stronger and more stretched out. So that's just a little tidbit about where I am both mentally and physically with my health. And if you're interested, go visit yogagirlnextdoor.com or the handle because I'm offering online classes. I'm doing privates. I'm doing meditation sessions. So if you need some like normalcy, routine, wellness right now, that's definitely an avenue to explore. With the podcast, if you've been listening for the past, I would say nine months, you know that I do Australia updates in the beginning of the episodes. I would say right now, the update is that I'm weirdly enjoying quarantine and I'm not saying that to be an asshole. I'm saying that because that's my reality. I think there are two ways to react to this and it's obviously to look at all the negative, read the news every day, complain about your situation, continue to complain, do nothing, sit around all day. And there's also the opposite way of, okay, well, let me just try and do what I can. Like, what can I control? And I know not all of us have a luxury of of controlling everything, right? Like some of us might not have the financials to just do whatever we want. Some of us might not have the support system or family members to help out. I'm not saying that 
oh, if you sit around, you're being lazy. That's not it at all. I literally sat around all Sunday watching like 18 Bravo shows. So I'm not saying there's a right or wrong way to handle this. There's not an operation manual that says, here's how to handle a global pandemic that put everyone in a recession, everyone out of jobs and is uncertain. Like, no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying the reality of my situation is that I have a lot of free time on my hands right now. And the reality of my situation before this was that I did not have a lot of free time on my hands. So with the newfound free time that I have, I'm using it to do all the things that I had excuses for when I was in Sydney. So I'm saying that from a personal level. I am not saying if you are using this as a time to rest, that's an excuse and you're being lazy. Not at all. Like I said, I'm... For me, it's more so showing me how little self-discipline I had before. It's like, wow, I do have all this free time and now I can focus on what I want to do. So how are you going to do it, Chelsea? Like, here you go. So for me, it's kind of just a nice little reflection and test, but it also is forcing me to eat healthier. It's forcing me to develop better habits. I'm working on things that I'm really passionate about. So that's where I'm at right now. I don't, I don't feel any anxiety. Uh, I would say the the most thing I was anxious about before was just getting home, but now I'm comfortable that I will get home fine when the timing is right. There's the flights have gone down, the costs. There's still ways that I can get home, like different routes. I'm in a position now in Western Australia where I don't have to really worry. We also got stimulus checks from the U.S. government. I got my tax return. I'm making money off of all the businesses that I have right now with like podcasting and yoga. So really, I'm not in a place that I'm like, oh, this sucks. I don't work. I have all this free time. I'm doing nothing like that's not how I'm handling this. But again, I am trying to once again tell you I'm not saying that to be an asshole. And if you're doing the opposite, you're wrong. I'm saying this is my chance to show myself now that you have all this free time and you're in a position to use it wisely, what am I going to do with it? So that's pretty much the update is like my days off. I work on the yoga stuff, the business side of things, the the podcasting. It's a lot of work. And that's something that I definitely am going to get into I think in a solo episode probably because my mindset when I started both of these things was, oh, you just need a logo, a website and show up every week and that's it. No, 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 no. You need to worry about so many other things. Like let's say if you have a website, do you have proper SEO? Are your leads converting? Do you have pages that are easy to navigate? Is your user interface friendly? Is it mobile friendly? Is it tablet friendly? Do you have a contact page that makes sense that people want to contact you? Are you using keywords that would rank really well in Google? Okay, so that's just the website. Now let's go to the logo. What does the logo say about you? What brand colors are you using? What mood does it give off? What does it say if someone were to just see this out online or on a shelf? Like that's just the branding aspect. And then you get into just basics of like sales, marketing, operations, finance, legalities. It's a whole world that I was not expecting to run into. I don't know why. I think it's just one of those things you learn as you go. But now that I'm really diving in, it's like, oh, wait, do I need to set up this type of like a sole proprietorship or an LLC? How do I collect money? How I'm international? Like what ways am I supposed to do this? How do I file taxes for this specific thing? Do I need to hire a finance person? Should I hire a social media manager? What about a marketing person? What about a business coach? Like, oh my God, these are, these are the things I think about every day. Like if you saw my journal right now, it's, it's always been like affirmations and gratitude lists. And now it's turning into all that plus to-do lists. 
And it never used to be like that. It used to be like, oh, just record a podcast every week, edit it, get it live, and make a few social graphics. Not only do I still do that, but I now have a whole separate side with the yoga business. So lots going on. That's how I'm spending my days. And I am doing online live yoga classes the next few weeks. So again, that's where you can go to Yoga Girl Next Door. But that's really fun for me because I get to connect with people that are back home. I get to chat with them. We get to work out. We get to flow. And it's a really nice way to just break up your day. So I'm glad I decided to recommit to the yoga stuff. What else? I think that's pretty much it. Not dating, not really doing anything except going to the grocery store if I need to. We went to the beach the other day and there was absolutely no one there. I think there was one other person on the whole other side of the beach. And at that point, like I had to get out of the house. I've seriously just been in the house for four weeks now. And being by the beach was so nice. It was, it's actually a really fun day too, because my roommate and I were just being really like youthful with the time like we were doing handstands and headstands like I felt like a teenager I was like what are we doing I usually just lay out and listen to music and I was listening to a fun podcast and then we just started like goofing around with all our little handstands and I actually found out I could do a handstand and I'm telling you guys this is from my yoga and pilates I know I sound like I'm on a soapbox but I just can't believe that this is how strong I am now from literally working out 20 to 30 minutes a week it like I don't even believe it. My brain is still trying to process it. It's like, are you sure, Chelsea? Are you sure it's not something else? And I'm like, I haven't been able to do a handstand since I was in college. And somehow the past four months, I've only been doing yoga and Pilates and now I can do one. So I think there's a direct correlation there. Yeah, so that's what's going on in my life. Um, I think that's it. No dating, like I said, no, no real other updates outside of just entrepreneurship. Getting into today's guest, her name is Cassandra Wilder, and she is a big proponent and expert of women's health, cyclical health, and hormones. And you guys, I just talked about this in the beginning of the podcast intro. Hormones are, I believe, the number one thing that I never paid attention to before I moved to Australia. I'm still actually diving into it, but I got into it with her. I was like, what do we need to know about this? Why is this not more talked about? Why is it something that can really change our bodies and affect us so much, but you barely learn about them? Like, I think we all know the name of one hormone, which is cortisol, and maybe a few others, but there are so many things that affect us. And so we got so specific with not only hormonal health, but women's cycles. That is something that I didn't realize either that affected me so much energetically. And we've all been there where we have the one week where we just don't want to do anything. And instead of beating yourself up, like I used to do being like, Chelsea, you're just being lazy, get up earlier. You have a few hours extra in the day, just go do it. And I realize I am not honoring my body or my cycles when I do that. And uh, Cassandra talks about that. She's like, yeah, we need to pay attention to that. And she goes through all the cycles. She also talks about women's circles, which is something she leads and she discovered while traveling abroad. So we definitely get into some abroad stories and ways that you can travel with different visas and her fun story about how she met a partner. Lots of different fun avenues that we took this this episode, and I think the biggest takeaway is to pay attention to your hormones and your cycles, ladies. I am I am now just realizing how important it is, and I'm 29. Like, I don't know why we didn't talk about this in school. I don't know why this is not the forefront of every health and wellness conversation with women specifically, but it needs to be. So I really think if you're interested 
not only in hormones, but if you're running into issues with your own workouts and you're like, I don't get it. I work out at Orange Theory. I eat my three meals a day or I have my five to six meals a day. I drink water. I go to bed early, blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's a hormone imbalance. So this episode would definitely be helpful for you. As always, if you found value, can you please go rate, review, and subscribe and leave a review? That really helps me. You can consider the review like a form of payment. I do this podcast free every single week. So that is basically compensation for podcasters is reviews. So this is true for any podcaster, not just myself or sharing on your Instagram story, anything just to help with getting people like Cassandra on the show. All right, with that, let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Cassandra. Thank you so much for having me. Can you tell everyone about what you do? Yeah, so I'm a naturopathic doctor and I specialize in women's cyclical health. So I teach women how to track their cycles so that they can connect to their power center, stop burning out as entrepreneurs and live fulfilled lives. Ooh, we need to talk about that because... (laughs) As an entrepreneur in the making, I am already wondering how people don't get burnt out in the first six months. So we have a lot to chat about. But before we get into that, can you tell us about baby Cassandra? Like, where did you grow up and what was childhood like? Oh my gosh. Well, (laughs) let's just take a blast from the past. Um, I grew up in a very small town in Utah. So kind of middle of nowhere out on a ranch with a bunch of animals. And um it was such a an interesting you know childhood in a lot of ways. I was really lucky to be surrounded with nature and to have kind of a limitless amount of places that I could explore. Um, but I also felt really sensitive and really different to a lot of people. I saw things very differently, and I always had this dream that I wanted to impact the world. I wanted people to, you know, think of me as someone that was a leader or someone they could look up to. And so I had these big, big dreams, but they also felt really unattainable. And so. It wasn't until I went and did my undergrad in health and nutrition, um, I went through my own traumatic experience with an abusive relationship and found myself in a place of needing to change. I felt like I was checking all of the boxes on what it meant to be successful and that, you know, you're supposed to go to college and you're supposed to get a good job and then maybe find a partner. And even though I was doing all those things, it felt so incredibly empty. And so it pushed me on this journey to get out of my comfort zone, to leave the place that I'd always called home and, and do that hard healing work. What specific part of Utah? Uh, just South of Salt Lake. So, uh, kind of like the Bluffdale Riverton area. Okay. Cause I used to live in Lehigh. Oh my gosh. And- no yeah. And it was obviously a culture shock because I came from Florida. Mm. So we lived in a very Mormon neighborhood. I actually even think I went to a Mormon church for like two times with my friends. And, you know, I was too young to even realize how different the religion was from where I grew up. Mm. Um, but that's why I'm asking because I'm like, sometimes it does matter where you're from and the religions that you grow around because every single person in the community was Mormon except my house. Mm -hmm. So it actually did. I was only there for a year, but it did play a huge role in like how I was looking at things at a very young age. Totally. Totally. That's so wild that, yeah. I mean, if anyone doesn't know, that's like five miles apart. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so wild. And same, we were like the one non-Mormon family. So we were always like a little different. Everyone was always like, why aren't they Mormon and what are they doing? And um, yeah, so it was kind of an interesting interesting um, environment to grow up in. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and also while you're going through what you've you were going through, like a toxic relationship, just feeling empty. So I'm curious, a lot of people do turn to religion. What type of healing was available to you then or how did you even cope? That's a really good question. I found myself at that rock bottom point and I realized in that moment that I didn't have any tools. I didn't have a religion or a spiritual practice at that time that I could lean on. And I think that was kind of the beginning or the blossoming of one. I think sometimes we get to that point where we really do crave a connection to something greater than us, whatever word we want to attach to it. And so for me, it was yoga, actually, that was so helpful for me and starting to realize maybe more of the connection between myself and other humans, the earth, everything around me. And that really was was my life changer in that moment to have a safe place on my yoga mat where I knew no one was going to, you know, talk to me. No one was going to touch me. No one was going to interact with me. And instead I could experience all of the emotions, all of the feelings and do it in a, in a really loving container. Who introduced you to it or how did you bump into it? Oh, I'm trying to think how I went to my first yoga class. I think it was, uh, initially I went to one at the university of Utah where I was going to school and like, it totally didn't resonate. You know, it was like gym yoga, you know, like mm-hmm. in a big like auditorium or something. So it was like totally the opposite of special, but it kind of planted a seed, I guess, for me, because, you know, about a year later when I really needed the practice, I remember seeking out a local yoga studio and finding it to be such a beautiful environment where it was so calm and loving and grounding. And it was a very different yoga experience. Absolutely. I'm curious, what motivated you to keep going before you found the yoga? Mm. I think, so I was in this abusive relationship and, you know, went through the legal system with everything in that. And I remember even after, you know, going through the court system and seemingly getting what I thought I wanted, it was kind of like, okay, congrats, you got what you wanted. Now, bye. Like, you know, that was the end of the support from anyone. And I remember feeling so alone, having so much shame, so much guilt, just feeling like, you know, am I wrong? Did I do something wrong here? Um, really spiraling into that. And I do remember there was a very distinct night where I felt like I had two options. And that was either to just be done with all of this. I mean, this is pretty dark, you know, so <laughs> fair warning, but to really throw in the towel and to really um, choose to check out, or I could really invest in finding a path forward and really look at myself, look at my own habits, why I was continuing to attract toxic relationships like this and actually do the work and heal. And obviously I'm so grateful that I chose to, to go through all of the muck and all of the hardship and the ingrained beliefs so that I could feel safe and feel free. Absolutely. Was there a book or a movie or a person or anything that inspired you to really take action? This is going to sound so cliche, but it was around this time that I feel like Eat, Pray, Love was a really big thing. (laughs) And if you've read that book in the first chapter, you know, she talks about like crying on the floor and and wanting to change or get help, but she doesn't know how. And like at the time that book felt so relevant. Um, So I don't know, maybe that's not that juicy, but it really resonated. You know what's funny is I quit my job and moved to Australia and everyone was calling it my eat, pray, love journey. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) eat, pray, love. And then I was like, you guys, I've never read the book or watched the movie. So I need to get on it. But No, I still haven't. (laughs) I I really need to get on it. But obviously (laughs) when everyone talks about it, that 
it makes sense. I mean, even in the title itself, like eat, pray, love, you can understand why it could be a life-changing book. Yeah, totally. So you start to get into yoga. What kind of yoga were you doing? It was just a gentle, like Hatha Vinyasa kind of yoga. So there wasn't too much spirituality sprinkled into it, but I always loved the very ends of classes, you know, where you would ohm together and they would have some beautiful like mantra or speech that they gave, like that would just bring you to tears. Oh, those were my favorite classes. Yeah. And, and what about yoga after that? Were you like, okay, this is kind of a segue into a more spiritual world. Like, was it a teacher? Was it these mantras? Like, when did you start dipping your toes into what else was out there? There was an amazing teacher here locally that I felt like always spoke right to me. Like I could be in a room of, you know, 30 other students and it always felt like she was in my brain speaking right to me, speaking to this act of forgiveness or letting go or healing. And I was always like, how does she, how does she know that this is exactly what I need? So that started to open the doorway then for other practices like meditation, like mindfulness, learning how to, you know, look at my past and start to change my perspective of it, um, change how I show up in the world, let go of a lot of the victim mindsets that I had embodied my entire life. And it was through all that work that then uh, I started to feel like it was time for me to make a bigger change. And that was to leave Utah and leave my job. And what job did you have at that time? Believe it or not, I worked in law enforcement. <laughs> wow. Uh, another, I know, another season of my life. But, um, you know, and people often ask how I got into that. But it was just I was doing my undergrad and um, needed some money. And it was, you know, a, an interesting job. And so I just started doing it. And what was that like when you, I imagine the law enforcement job probably had a lot to do with your past too, right? Like wanting justice. Yeah, I think I think I did want to be the change or be the support. And unfortunately, I don't feel like I made that impact at all. And instead, I was I felt so bombarded with stress and, you know, these really intense situations and being a really sensitive person, I felt like I, I didn't know how to integrate any of that. So I would often walk home just in tears, super stressed, my, you know, I could just feel like my shoulders and my muscles in my body so tight. And it wasn't a good job for me. But again, I felt so conditioned, like you have a good job, you have everything going for you. So it would be selfish to let this go. Absolutely. And I don't know. I mean, now I can talk to you about Utah, but I felt like outside of college, the next thing to do was not even get a job. It was to become a mom and stay at home mom. Did Mm -hmm. you find that at all? Or was that career piece still around? I think because I wasn't Mormon, I felt more so like, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't engaged or anything at that point. I felt like my overcompensation had to be like, I need to be really successful and I need to get a really good job because I'm not in the scenario where I could get married or or have a child yet. Um, But I think in both instances, isn't it funny how we feel like it's almost like we have to prove our worth Mm -hmm. through this external thing. It's so interesting. Yeah. And prove our worth in the, in like a monetary and title way, which is funny because now both you and I quitting corporate jobs can say like, that is not at all how you get your worth. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious. I'm always curious about this, about support systems, because I'll use my example. Like I'm really close with my family and I'm super close with my mom. So when I took that leap to leave corporate America, they were just like, yep, have fun. This sounds amazing. Do you, 
of course, there were questions here and there, like, how are you going to support yourself in this and that? But overall, the theme was, we're so happy for you. But I'm curious about your situation. Were your parents or your support systems like, what are you doing? You're leaving an amazing job. Or was it the same? Like, we love this. Go do you. It makes me so happy to hear that your family was so on board and so supportive. That's, I think, really, really special. Um, I did not (laughs) have the same (laughs) uh, reaction, unfortunately. Um, I have one sister who was incredibly supportive, who was really like, if you don't do this now, you're always going to regret not doing it. Um, And then my parents, I think just being more old school, you know, it was very much like you get a job and you stay with it for 40 years kind of mindset, you know. Um, And then in all fairness to them, though, when I was quitting my job, I didn't have I didn't have like a backup plan. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was just leaving to travel. And so it probably seemed pretty like irresponsible, you know, in their Mm -hmm. perspectives. And to me, it was like an unleashing, like I just wanted to be free and I wanted to have that space to figure out if there was something more for me in this life. Absolutely. And I definitely think my parents had that irresponsible, you know, concern too. Because they're like, why don't you wait a year? Why don't you wait two years? And I was like, why don't you just let me go? And then finally my mom was like, Chelsea, it's just the financial part. Like you don't just quit. And two days later go abroad with zero money. I'm like, okay, I understand now. Um, (laughs) so when you did quit and yet you says, you have no plan, but did you have a plan of like where you wanted to go? Were you called to do something? Tell us about that experience. Yeah. I had just booked a one-way flight to Belize and I'd never, been to Central America besides Costa Rica. And so I just aimlessly traveled for about four months. So I went through Belize and Guatemala and El Salvador and Mexico and was completely in the space of openness of just, I'm, I will go where I'm called to go. I will connect with people. And more than anything, I just want time to rest and to heal and to remember who I even am. And I think when you approach life from that open place, that's where beautiful things can start to align. I mean, in our normal lives, it seems like most of us have everything planned out to a T, right? Like we have every minute of our day filled. So there's never any space for something else to come in. And I was in like the total opposite spectrum where it was like, other than sleeping today, there's really nothing on the agenda. And um, that's where I spent a lot of time in Guatemala. And that would end up becoming one of the most life-changing experiences of my life where I would go to my first women's circle and where I would start to do a lot of my own deeper healing work as well. So that was, that was perhaps the most pivotal point in that entire journey. In Guatemala specifically. Mm-hmm. Was there a language barrier or anything with tradition that you had to get adjusted to while you were traveling around there? I definitely am not fluent in Spanish. So that it was a challenge. Yeah. I felt like I could get around, but I do feel like I couldn't get to know a lot of people at depth, which is unfortunate. Um, And especially in Guatemala, it's so special to witness a culture that is still fairly vibrant in that they still wear their traditional Mayan clothing and they're still like making fresh tortillas in the streets and things that you think about like hundreds of years ago, they're still doing actively. And um, I do feel like I missed out on fully grasping the essence of what they do. Um, but luckily there were a lot of people I was meeting that were bilingual. And so they could kind of keep me in the loop. Yeah, absolutely. I want to actually stay on this piece for a second, because this is the part, especially you and I, we have done it like where you leave corporate America, you go on your eat, pray, love journey, and everyone pines after that. And they're like, Oh, I want to do that. I want to quit my job. I want to travel. 
but kind of what we were talking about, it's like, do you have the finances? Do you know where you're going? Is there a language barrier? So what struggles, if any, did you have while you were traveling in these specific months? That's a really good question. I think um, finances at times were scary because I had just a savings and it was just a different environment where you're eating out most of the time. You're staying at different hotels or hostels. And so I think I had a lot of fear about running out of money at some point and not knowing how to really like budget for such an open-ended lifestyle. Um, and there were a few instances, especially like in El Salvador, where I definitely felt unsafe and kind of felt like, like maybe you shouldn't be here. Like this is not the the place to just kind of wander around and, and be a tourist. Um, and then certainly there's just that fear of the unknown. And I think that's the biggest thing that keeps people stuck or in that place of like, wow, I wish I could do that. But it's so scary to think about being in a country where you don't know anyone, where you don't speak the language, where you're not 100% sure where you're going to you know, be in a week. And I really do understand that. But there is also so much power in being okay with that state of flow. Right. And I ended up finding a group of friends pretty fast when you travel that you just stay in touch with. So when you were traveling, did you find that or was it different in every country? I did. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's kind of like this camaraderie between all the, the tourists or the, the people that are traveling for an extensive amount of time, which is so nice. Um, and then I ended up meeting someone that I ended up dating for like five years after that. And so certainly um, once I met him, then it all felt a lot easier just because there was another person there. Wow. That is such an amazing story to find not only someone that you can travel with, but then end up romantically dating. Right. <laughs> and it lasted a while. So <laughs> yeah, it worked out. I'm waiting for that to happen to me. That's, that's my <laughs> hope, hopeful story. Um, what, tell us about these women's circles. What specifically are they and how did you run in? I don't know if run in is the right word, but <laughs> be introduced to your first one. I remember I was walking down this little path in this little rural village on this lake in Guatemala, and I saw the sign for a women's circle. And I remember looking at it and feeling in my gut or my intuition definitely pulling me towards it. But I remember immediately having this story in my mind about why I shouldn't go to it. I had never had like good girlfriends growing up. I'd always been like one uh, more of the, the Tom girl, you know, wanting to hang out with all the boys. Um, and I had these stories that women were catty or competitive or jealous. And so immediately it was interesting. I felt this like pull of my gut and then my mind immediately leaping in and being like, no, you don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not safe or something. There was some story that was really coming up for me. So luckily I got over it <laughs> and I still went. I had no idea what to expect. And I was sitting in this circle with probably 40 other women from all over the world, all different backgrounds, languages, ethnicities, everything. And the woman guiding this circle was just so radiant and so beautiful. I remember being blown away by the presence she carried. And she asked just one simple question in the circle. All she asked was, what is going on for you in your life? And I couldn't believe the depth at which women answered that question. Some women started sobbing and crying and they were sharing these deep, dark stories and what they were struggling with. And they were so raw and vulnerable. And other women were so radiant and happy and they were sharing about all the amazing things in their lives. And, you know, I'm come from a culture where when someone asks how you're doing, you just say good. Um, and so I had no idea 
what I was doing in that space. And of course, the entire time, all I could think about is, oh my God, what am I going to say? Like, how, how am I doing? I don't know. I've never asked myself that genuinely. Um, I remember it coming to me and I thought I knew what I was going to say. And I went to open my mouth and this massive sob just erupted from me. And I started uncontrollably crying, like the total, like messy crying where you're like, boogers everywhere and you can't see and you're just heaving because you can't get enough air in. And um, it took me a few minutes. And when I finally felt semi-composed, I remember looking up and every single woman in that circle was staring at me, smiling, not trying to fix what was going on for me, not trying to change anything or ask me what was going on, but rather just witnessing me and allowing me to go through my own process. And that was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And I felt safer in that moment, I think, than I ever had before. Wow. And this is, it just sounds so powerful, not only with the stories, but having it be women. Do you think that helped open up or do you think you would have had the same experience if men were there too? Honestly, I don't think I would have been as raw or vulnerable with men. I think, at least I can speak from for myself, I think that I have uh, subconscious beliefs or things, you know, that you need to be composed around men or you need to appear a certain way. And so I think that's where a women's circle is so nourishing because there's no one to impress and there's nothing to gain. And rather, being vulnerable and being really raw is is actually the most beautiful thing you can do. Right. I actually saw an invite for a women's circle back when I was living in Bondi Beach and I had no idea what it was and I started reading about it and I had a lot of those fears that you had of like, okay, this is going to be way too much. These women are going to judge me if I tell my story too deeply or I'm just going to feel really uncomfortable. So let's say there's someone like me that sees, hey, there's a women's circle on Saturday in your local community. What should they expect to come, not only come with, but like get out of one, do they need to have this deep story? Like what I'm basically trying to see if there's like anything to mentally prepare for, if you're going to a women's circle for the first time. Mm, I like that. I like that. You know, honestly, every women's circle is so different, but I think the basic tenant that is always honored in a circle is the space to be witnessed. So to let other people hear your story, if you want to share it, or, you know, in some capacity, talk about what's real for you. And then also the space to witness another woman. And I think it's really powerful to learn how to be a good listener and also be able to eloquently or put into words what you're feeling. How many of us feel like we've never had someone willingly there to listen to us share something that's really visceral and true for us. And how many of us feel like we've been around other women that are also very authentic and, you know, will <laughs> will go down the rabbit hole with us. So as long as you have an openness, especially to witness someone else and perhaps let them witness you, that's all you need to know. That's really good to know. And I think it's also good to know, this is something that I actually experienced in Bali is you don't have to have like quote unquote deep trauma to share because I had this weird limiting fear of like, I don't deserve to be in these circles because nothing really bad has happened to me. And I remember sharing that being like, this sounds shallow. You know what I mean? Like 
this is actually really embarrassing that I'm almost even here. I didn't, I wasn't in a toxic relationship. I'm close to my family. Nothing happened in my childhood that really rocked me. So why am I even here? And I just want people to know that you can still go and not only learn a lot, but you probably uncover that maybe you do have some trauma that you didn't even realize. It's just coming up in a different way. I'm so glad you're saying all of that. Yes, because it's so easy for us to try and you know, compare our traumas to someone else's. And like you said, sometimes a circle is a space where we can peel back some of those layers and recognize the things that are still affecting us and whether or not they compare to someone else's trauma isn't, you know, is irrelevant. Right. And I think only in the last year, I really learned the, the concept of trauma. Like, I think the word itself makes you think, oh, you were hit, you were abused, you were, you know, in a very dark place. And then I learned it was like, no, it could be that you like drew your mom a picture when you were three and she didn't like it. And that stuck with you like in your DNA. And I was like, what? That's trauma too. (laughs) And so to your point that, you know, you cannot compare, like if that sticks with you your whole life. And so you think your mom doesn't like anything you do. Well, yeah, that's also trauma. Exactly. Yes. Well said. So what about this women's circle? You go to it, you get so much out of it. And then what happens next? I was hooked. (laughs) (laughs) I went to every single one that this woman was offering or anyone else. And in each one, I found myself um, feeling lighter and feeling like I knew myself a little bit better. And at that stage in my life, really, I was in that uncovering phase. Like before I could even think about figuring out my purpose or what I wanted to do, I first had to kind of bulldoze all of these beliefs and things that I'd stacked on myself. Um, And it was so amazing. And it wouldn't be until a few months later, I was then in Thailand and I was craving a women's circle so, so, so deeply, uh, but there weren't any in that local community. And so that was when I decided to attempt to lead my first circle very informally. I think I rented this like $8 yoga deck um, in the middle of the jungle, you know, like total Thailand style Um, and just create a container where women could come and just talk about what it means to be a woman and the experiences we all live through. And that was such a life-changing circle. And that was really the beginning of everything for me. And let's talk quickly about the reality of traveling abroad with visas. <laughs> Are you right. running on a tourist visa? Were you like, I'm moving to Thailand. I'm going to get a working visa. Tell us just quickly about like that behind the scenes. You know, I was totally just doing the tourist life thing. And so, um, I wasn't attached to any specific spot. So fortunately it did make it a lot easier for me to just hop around and do all of this. So you're hopping around doing women's circles. Did you feel called to plant roots anywhere or you were still very much like, I'm just going to spread this out to as many communities as I can? Yeah, I was totally like, I jokingly say my dirty hippie phase, <laughs> you know, where you're just <laughs> yeah. like cool with the hostel or, you know, whatever, like no judgment if anyone does that, obviously. But um, at that time, like I was 100% invested in that very like flowing, open kind of um environments. And then, uh, but it was right after that women's circle that I went with the man I was dating to Michigan to meet his family. And um, that was where I saw an advertisement for this naturopathic school. So jokingly, you know, I would say that I went for Mich- to, I went to Michigan for two weeks and then ended up staying for four years. So that kind of derailed the wandering hippie phase of my life. 
Right. And I was just in that phase like a month ago. I just, everyone knows I just did an update and a hostile life probably literally three episodes ago. So very familiar with that lifestyle. <laughs> and now I'm in a much different space, but it's, I feel like it's almost like something every single traveler, especially when you're, when you're on a tourist visa goes through. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to hear that not only were you going through it, but then you found almost like your life path by way of synchronicities. Exactly. Exactly. And like, I think that's the only way to live. Honestly, Chelsea. Yeah, I agree. So naturopathy, tell us about what did you, you saw an advertisement, but what specifically is it for anyone that doesn't know? That's a great question. So naturopathy is a natural form of medicine that is truly as old as time. It combines a lot of like Western herbalism with Chinese medicine Um, you know, basically any kind of alternative or natural healing method you can think of and associates it all to the human body. So we learn to look at the human body on a full spectrum. So certainly the mind, the body, the emotions, but then also all of the systems, which is different than say Western medicine, where we tend to compartmentalize, you know, the urinary system versus the cardiovascular system. We strive to look at the entire person, find the root cause of their imbalance, and then address that at the root level. So it's a very different style of medicine, but um, can be very effective for a lot of people. I feel like I wish I knew about this when I was considering options because this just sounds like a fun thing to study. What were, what was your studies like? It was the best, like Like the best. Um, I remember when I was doing my undergrad at more of like a normal college. And even though I was doing it in health and nutrition, I, I was really disillusioned with it by the end because it wasn't what I believed in, you know, in that setting, it was very like food guide pyramid, um, it was very much like chronic diseases can never be fixed or, you know, you're just going to slowly decay in essence. And it was very disempowering and um, kind of depressing. And I really had this belief that the human body, if it has the right tools, does have an innate ability to heal itself on some level. And so when I finally went to naturopathic school, I was like, this, these are my people, <laughs> like people that are also really passionate about health and healing and willing to think outside of the box and have real conversations with all of this. And um, yeah, it was like the best four years of my life. Are there different pathways you can take in school? Somewhat. So like with naturopathy, you don't normally do a residency. So you don't specialize as much as like a, an MD or a DO but you can, you know, kind of, I guess, niche into what it is you want to do. So for me, I always knew I wanted to do women's health. And then after I graduated, I really dived all into women's cyclical health specifically. Tell us about what women's cyclical health even is for anyone that doesn't know. The coolest stuff, of course, (laughs) you know, um, It's so shocking to me, the lack of education that most women have uh, around their bodies. And I think we can all think back to our education about, you know, menstruation or our cycles. And it was probably um, very much lacking or very shameful or embarrassing. You know, maybe you got like that awkward talk in sixth grade, you know, whatever they call it, the maturation program. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, maybe it was just in a biology class. Maybe you had an awkward conversation with your mom. But most of us grow up with zero connection or awareness around our menstrual cycles. And when we lack that connection, it's also very challenging for us to feel a sense of purpose, a sense of empowerment or joy. And, you know, just, you know, five, 10 years ago, if you would have told me that, I wouldn't have believed you. Uh, but this was what I started to realize as I was sitting in these sessions with these women 
coming to me presenting, you know, with cervical dysplasia or cysts, um, very irregular periods, whatever it may be. And I started to see this massive pattern that when there are these large imbalances in the reproductive system, these women also typically feel very disempowered. They have no direction, no mission, no purpose. And they really feel this like sense of dryness, like there's no life, there's no vitality, and they're really seeking something. Uh, I think maybe we can all resonate with that feeling uh, of that knowing there's something more, but you're not sure what it is or how to get to it. And so that's where I started to merge what I call the science and the spirituality. You know, we know on a physical level how to support cyclical health, but what about this massive emotional layer? What about helping women also feel like themselves again and give them that vigor back? This is so interesting because to your point, the lack of education is shocking. I am 29 and I'm not kidding. Half of what I've learned about getting pregnant and pregnancy is just through my friends going through it. Like I thought everything basically was like a movie. You just fall in love and then you just pick a, you know, a month you want to get pregnant and that's how it works. And everyone's like, no, 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 you have to work with your cycle. You need to track things. You need to be aware of how your body is working. I'm like, what are you talking about? Don't you just do it and it happens. And I'm like, again, I'm, I'm 29 and I just found all this out in the last like three years. So let's talk a little bit about the specifics of your cycle. Can we go through like the basic 101 of what we should be knowing about our bodies? Totally, totally. And I'm glad you said that, Chelsea, because I would guess like pretty much every woman has felt that way and maybe still does feel that way because we don't learn any of this. We get the fairy tale version, like you said, and mm -hmm. we're supposed to just be okay with that. And it's so far from the truth. It's very hard to feel connected to something when there's a lack of education. So here's the 101 that we all should have gotten. Um, especially around that time when we had our first menstrual cycle. This is that like 10 minute conversation that we needed to have with someone. So we, a woman has four distinct cycles throughout the month, even though we tend to think we just have the one, our menstrual cycle, there's three others that also shift throughout the month. So obviously every single month, if we're, you know, of a healthy body weights, our hormones are working appropriately, we should have a menstrual cycle. This can range from three to say seven days. And this is our endometrial lining shedding from our uterus. So all that goodness that could have built a baby is released through the cervix, through the vaginal canal, and then out, of course, through the vagina. So this is a phase or a time of the month where we tend to feel the most introverted and our energy levels tend to be very low and this is normal. So even though we may feel like something's wrong with us for feeling like we just want to curl up on the couch with a big blanket on our menstrual cycle, that's a very innate feeling because your body is doing a huge amount of work in that moment. When we come out of our menstrual phase, we move into our follicular phase where our FSH, our follicle stimulating hormone and our LH luteinizing hormone start to elevate as we approach ovulation. Sometimes it's easy to think of this phase uh, in the sense of seasons. So if your menstrual cycle was winter, your follicular phase would be spring. So we start to feel like we come to life again, our energy levels increase. Uh, we may start to feel more fertile, more uh, of an increase in our libido. Everything is in a building momentum at this point. And then we have our ovulatory time. So your ovulation time is when you are fertile or when you can actually get pregnant. The body releases a healthy egg into the fallopian tubes so that perhaps it can be, um, you know, connected with some sperm. 
This phase is when we tend to see an increase in our cervical mucus or our discharge. This is where we may have breast tenderness. Our libido tends to be very high. Everything here is indicating that essentially we are fertile myrtle and everything is ready for conception to occur. Our energy levels also tend to be very high during your ovulatory phase. And you tend to feel really social and very extroverted. Again, think of this as like summer, peak summer. What do you want to do in the summer? You want to be outside. You want to be connecting. And then after our ovulatory time, if conception did not occur, we see a dip in our hormones and we call this our luteal phase. And so in this phase, we start to feel our, our body want to pull inward a little bit more. Sometimes it's kind of an abrupt shift. Sometimes uh, women will say they feel like they're on top of the world when they're ovulating and then they suddenly feel like this plummet down. That's very normal because that's exactly what your hormones are doing. And our body just gets ready to menstruate once again. So just by looking at that, we can all see how one, we're all moving through massive shifts throughout the month. And two, we are cyclical beings, which means we're not meant to be the same or constant every single day. Some days your libido will be high and some days it won't. Some days you'll feel very social and other days you may want to like be MIA, you know, and stay home. And that is normal. And by having this discussion, women have permission to feel what it is they're feeling. Yeah. What about the cycle where you're a total psychotic person and bitchy? <laughs> where, which one is that in? Because that's something that I feel every month and it's commonly known as PMS, but I actually feel it a lot during my menstruation. So can you talk about that? I think you're saying that big mood swing, but why is it only like one or two days sometimes? Yeah. So your hormones are doing so many fluctuations, especially in that luteal phase and then right into your menstrual phase. And yeah, funny enough, some women notice it more before they bleed. Some women are like total PMS during their cycle. Um, a big thing to note here is if anything is extreme, so meaning we have like extreme PMS, extreme mood changes, anything like that would indicate that there probably is a slight hormonal imbalance, which is very common. Unfortunately, most women have some you know, low grade hormonal imbalance. So that's something we'd want to gently support and address. Um, but with PMS in general, you know, I think it's a huge call from the body most of the time to ask us to be more mindful about what it is we are doing. So often when that PMS flares up, is it because, you know, we're pushing through our cycle, we're forcing ourselves to do projects and things, even though we don't want to do them? Are we forcing ourselves to be around people that are maybe kind of toxic or push our boundaries a little bit. And so I think when we start to look at it as maybe an indicator from the body versus like something that's just terrible, there's some wisdom in that. And why are hormones not the front and center of conversation? Why are they so like put on the back burner? It is a wild thing. You know, it's, uh, it's wild in that if you, say, had back pain and went to a doctor, they would probably be looking for the cause, right? They'd want to address it. They'd want to find some sort of solution for you. Um, same thing if you went in and, you know, say, had a sprain or something like that. But when it comes to women's health or period issues or anything like that, it tends to kind of be scooted under the rug as like it's just a female problem. It's normal. You know, you're going to be irregular. You're going to experience issues. It's just kind of inevitable. And I think this shows the massive disconnect in modern gynecology. There is um, very little effort put onto hormones, except for in the instance of, say, menopause. So it's a shame. Um, and this is why I think women need to know the signs of a hormonal balance so that they have 
you know, the awareness and the empowerment to get it addressed. Absolutely. I want to talk about hormones. I actually want to take like quite a few minutes to get through them because this is something that I didn't even realize actually until a podcast brought it up. And I was like, whoa, this hormones might actually be the cause of why I'm feeling these mood swings or why I can't lose weight or that stubborn area around my belly. Like I did not realize all of that contributed to hormones. So you're talking about that balance and imbalance. How would you actually know if you are balanced or not? So there's a lot of really key symptoms that you can look at. Um, obviously, you know, you can do a hormone test and all of that. And maybe I'll come back to that in a moment. But the symptoms that you can notice in your own life right now, here's just a handful from the top of my head. Um, if we have a decrease in our sex drive, vaginal dryness, if our hair is thinning or falling out, that's a very common one. Eczema, if we feel fatigued or exhausted, trouble sleeping, um, irritable bowel syndrome, or just digestive issues in general, weight gain, especially around the low belly, what we might call the uh, the loose tire. Uh, we can also look at things like breast tenderness. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many things. And, and the truth is that probably everyone listening to this is like, oh, I have at least one of those. It's so common. And we can take all the thyroid meds, you know, we can take all the supplements, but if we don't address it on a hormonal level, something is going to stay imbalanced. And how do we test for that then? So you can do tests, you know, with your doctor. Um, a key thing to note is that in most Western medicine practices, the scale of normal is very, very large. And this is why sometimes women will go into the doctor um, you know, say to have a test done and the doctor will say, well, everything appears to be normal. And the woman is like, well, I know things are not normal, right? Like, I don't feel good. I don't want to have sex. Like, I can't sleep. Um, and so this is where, again, there's kind of just an imbalance in the system in that you can be on the very, very, very low end of normal and they're still going to tell you it's normal rather than saying, hey, you know, you're just a few points above imbalance. So here's some, some tools or things that we can integrate right now to get you back on track. Sadly, the system just isn't set up that way. So if it's not set up that way and someone is feeling out of control, what tools or methods or resources or anything are available to them to feel balanced? That's a great question. So this is where um, many of my clients specifically, you know, they work with their MD or their DO, and then they have a naturopathic doctor as well. They're very um, beneficial to have together because there's a time and place for both. So if you can have both, <laughs> that's ideal in a perfect world. Um, and then especially if you're resonating with any of these symptoms, or if you're like, I definitely feel like in the last couple of years, especially that's where I saw a decline, things are out of control. Um, there are some things you can start to do right now to gently support your hormonal health. So if you want, I can share a handful of tips right now. Yes, we need them. Okay, cool. <laughs> so one big one, and this um, is always shocking for people, but your body needs plenty of healthy fats in order to manufacture hormones. And so the 1990s were a uh, depressing time in that we were all taught that fat is bad, fat makes you fat. And so what do we do? We carved up, we got rid of the butter and we brought in margarine and, you know, is uh, just a depressing time for nutrition in general. So what we want to do is increase our healthy fats. So that is through coconut oil, olive oil, butter, ghee, um, you know, avocados, high quality oil, and to make sure you're nourishing your diet with plenty of that. 
at the same time, we want to reduce unhealthy oil. So kind of a good rule of thumb is if you can buy a gallon of that oil for like 10 bucks, it's garbage. So <laughs> it's going to include your canola oil, your vegetable oil, your cottonseed oil, soy oil. Um, those imbalance the hormones. So make sure you're eating in abundance, like at least three tablespoons of good healthy fats every single day so that your body has the tools that it even needs to regulate your hormones. Um, another really, really important uh, thing to help balance the hormones is to ensure that you are getting enough healthy um, water in your diet, as well as limiting plastic exposure. So plastics contain things called xenoestrogens and xeno just means false. And so they mimic estrogen in the body, it confuses the body, and it doesn't know if it should store it or not. So it's a, a massive thing, but anywhere you can opting for a glass, whether it's, you know, your water bottle, your silverware, um, you know, are you drinking out of a straw every single day? Little changes like that that are going to help you remove exposure to plastics. And another big culprit for xenoestrogens are pads and tampons. So most pads and tampons um, contain these estrogens that make you bleed more for a longer amount of time, which is pretty sinister. So what should people do if they can't use a pad or tampon? So you can do an organic one. That is a, a good option. I feel like not the best option, but you know, it's a good like transition option. Um, I personally love menstrual cups. They're incredible. They're very, very inexpensive. They last five to 10 years. If you are, you know, big on the planet, you know, or in the environment as well, it's also just incredible for that. And they're, they're wonderful to use very simple once you know how to use them. Um, and then period panties have become a really big thing. So really cute underwear that have basically a built-in pad so that um, you're able to bleed and then you just throw them in the wash and you don't feel like you're wearing a diaper, which is really exciting. Those menstrual cups are life-changing. I got one earlier late last, I'm trying to think actually like in August. And like you said, you have to learn how to use them, but then it's like, why did I not get introduced to this before? I never have to ask anyone for a tampon. I don't have to run to the store. I don't have 50 in my purse that are like falling out when I'm just trying to get a lipstick out. I'm like, why does like no one talk about these more? They're amazing. Seriously. Oh, I'm so glad you use it because yeah, once you like invest in it and like, you know, get over the little learning curve, you're sold for life. Yeah. And it saves you so much money. Yeah. Like I don't have to worry about tampons anymore. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, I paid 20 bucks and I'm good. So healthy fats, really paying attention to the plastic. And then there was something interesting you said about mimicking estrogen. And I've heard this a lot when people talk about hormones, but can you explain more of what that actually means? Like your body really thinks it's estrogen, the word mimicking it? Yeah. Yeah. So it looks very much like estrogen. And so your cells pull it into the little hormone ports. And so then your true hormones, you know, the actual estrogen or things in your body can't get into those ports because those ports are now full of the false estrogens. And often too, with the false estrogens, they tend to be stored in the body because the body doesn't know how to assimilate them. And then that's where we get like a buildup, say of estrogen, that's the most common. And we know now that, for example, most breast cancers, ovarian cancers are estrogen dominant, meaning it was too much estrogen, not enough progesterone. And that's what the cancer is coming from. So too much estrogen in the body is very, very bad. And what about the opposite? If there's too much of, what was the other one? Progesterone? Progesterone. Yeah. You really don't ever see that. That would be um, like, okay. I want I don't know, at least in the, 
the textbooks that I read, they, they don't even actually talk about what the symptoms of too much progesterone look like because it's so incredibly unlikely. Are there foods or drinks or anything that mimic hormones as well that, you know, you might not even realize could be doing worse than you think for your hormones? Mm, good question. Um, I think dairy is a big one that I can touch on here as well as meat, because if it's not organic or pasture raised, then they, you know, pump these animals with hormones and, you know, with dairy, especially. So if you love, you know, your milk or <laughs> your whey protein powder or whatever, that is a big thing to be aware of is to keep mil uh, cows producing milk, you know, they're pumping them with hormones so that the cow thinks it's pregnant, you know? So, um, it's a, it's a pretty horrific industry, really. So if you feel like you continue to have these hormone problems, even though you feel like you're doing everything else, but if you're still eating non-organic dairy or meat, that is a huge culprit right there. Um, and then the plastics, it really does come down to that. Most people don't even realize how many plastic things they're using in their life. And so even if you're drinking the most beautiful green smoothie in the entire world, but you're drinking it out of a plastic cup with a plastic straw, how much, you know, how does that balance out harm versus benefit? Wow. So there's definitely some things that we need to take into account because there are probably people listening, thinking I'm killing it with this green smoothie every morning. And then at lunch I eat out a plastic bowl and then dinner I get takeout on plastic. So it's like, wow, there's little things that you can just pay attention to, to really change that. Exactly. Yeah. It really is kind of like everywhere. <laughs> What about environment, like job, uh, climate, our personal space and how our room looks? Does that have anything to do with hormones? Totally. I mean, stress, especially of any kind, is a huge disruptor of hormones. I saw a study recently that was just unfathomable. It was talking about how if you are perpetually stressed, that that's the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And so it just made Ooh. me think of, you know, so many people who, you know, go to yoga and they drink the green juice and, you know, they do all the things they meditate, but then they say have a job that stresses them out or they're in this really toxic relationship. Again, you can do all the things, but if you are perpetually stressed and forever locked into that sympathetic nervous system, you know, where your tailbone physically tucks and you're in fight or flight at all times, it don't matter how much green juice you're drinking, your body is going to degrade. Your hormones will likely be out of balance. You'll have gut issues. You know, it's just kind of a domino effect from there. So certainly noticing stress is key. And I think, you know, that's why probably for people like you and I, it was the right choice for us to get out of the nine to five because it was taking over our bodies. Cortisol and stress was something that I did not even learn about once again until like two or three years ago and again via a podcast. <laughs> and so now that I learn about it, I'm obsessed with it. Can Is cortisol the stress hormone or are there other stress hormones that we might not even realize are also playing a factor in all these imbalances? Cortisol is definitely the big one. So that is the one that will, you know, increase heart rate, pull you into the sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and then start to also turn off other body functions. So, you know, for example, if you were running from a tiger, you know, your body has better like resources for energy than like digestion or, you know, other things that are not going to prevent you from being eaten by this tiger. So we see that translate into our modern world. You know, your body doesn't understand the difference between, you know, a really intense boss or a huge amount of deadlines, or even for us entrepreneurs, you know, a million things on our to-do list versus tiger that's trying to eat you. And so again, we see digestion turn off. We see 
you know, certain parts of our brain turn off. We see brain fog become more common as we are literally locked into this survival mode. And so I, I think we all know what that feels like too, when you feel like you are absolutely locked into that and you can feel that cortisol pumping through your veins. And what about environment with cortisol outside of work? Like, let's say people are like, yeah, but my home life is fine. I have a cute little bed and a room. Like, what are things that we can do that aren't specifically at work to reduce cortisol? That's a good question. Setting up your environment in a way that brings you a sense of peace. And it's going to be a little different for everyone. Uh, for some people, you know, it's changing the lighting. So rather than having these, you know, atrocious, <laughs> um, what do they call those kinds of lights? Um, uh, fluorescent. fluorescent. Yeah, yeah. Those, oh, they're the worst. Like I can't be in rooms yeah. or big offices where that's all they have. They're so like blinding and you just feel it depress you. And um, it truly does that. All that blue light, it's the same kind of light that you get from your computer or your phone that also wreaks havoc on your hormones. And so instead, maybe bringing in warm lighting, salt lamps, um, plenty of sunlight, making your space clean, clutter-free, these little things do add up. And your environment, especially your home environment, should be sacred and should be a place where you feel recharged. I love that because it's so true. I never started realizing how much my environment played a role because sometimes you're just like, yeah, I have a nine to five. I make my bed, you know, I lunch with my coworkers. I do a workout class. I go home. Like what could be wrong with my day? And I started taking in inventory of my own day. And I was like, wait, I eat lunch at my desk. I shove, you know, my meal down my throat. I don't take any time to eat. I'm usually running through Starbucks, grabbing some sugar bomb drink in the drive-thru. And then my workout class is some crazy intense class where it's like, you know, battle lasers in my eyes with the instructor yelling at me and going, going, going a hundred reps and then going to sleep with my Instagram, you know, next to my eyeballs. And I was right. like, yeah, that's not obviously good for my <laughs> hormones, but I didn't realize that until I started learning about cortisol and how much your environment affects you. So I'm curious about the workout piece. Are there workouts that do help with hormone balance or is it just what feels good for you? I would love to hear your take on that. I'm so glad you're asking this question because we really live in this world where we feel like more is better. Like the more intense, the better, the more you sweat, the better. Um, and a few years ago, I remember I was sitting in this classroom and we were talking specifically about hormones. We were talking about uh, stress and we were specifically talking about gut health and the man that was presenting, it just blew me away. He was saying that when someone, for example, has a severely stressed nervous system or their gut health is imbalanced, severe thyroid issues or hormonal imbalances, they need less rigorous exercise. Like these are the people that actually need to go for a walk or like go swim in a swimming pool. They are not the people that need to go to a 90 minute spin class or some obnoxious hit class. And that flabbergasted me because I had always thought, you know, if you want to be healthy, then go to a hit class or do something really intense. And again, realizing that for some people where they're getting so much stress in every other place, they actually need something softer. And again, when we're working out, the body doesn't understand the difference between Oh, I'm just working out and I'm actually in a high stress situation and I'm trying to, you know, survive. So depending on your hormone levels will determine what kind of workouts you should do. And then if you think of it cyclically, you know, if you look at those four distinct phases, there are certain times when more rigorous exercise is better. And there are times when 
a restorative yoga class would be a thousand times better. So especially around your menstrual time, being really gentle, taking care of yourself, going for a walk, yoga, something more nourishing. And then around your ovulation time, your peak time, if it feels good for you, that's where you could do something more high intensity. But how many of us have been locked into that belief that more is better? Oh, I was, I tell people all the time, I feel like I was brainwashed to think like, if you are not burning 500 calories a workout for 60 minutes every day, it's then don't even like call it a workout. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Might as well just stay at home. And it's like, what? And now I've had, I've actually seen the biggest change in my own body this year in Australia because I started out, A, I couldn't afford a, you know, these expensive hit gyms because I was just moving here. I was trying to find a job, get an apartment, but I was walking around a lot. And then I found a yoga studio right next to my apartment and I was going to all their yin classes once again, thinking, oh, well, it's yin, it's restorative. It's not going to do that much for me. And then all of a sudden, after like a few yoga classes, a few days of walking around, I was seeing so much change in my body. And I was like, I think this has to do with not being in a corporate environment anymore, not having any stress, actually like enjoying my surroundings, taking in the beauty of nature. And now I'm like one of those people that it's, it's like a recovering hit addict or something where I'm like, (laughs) listen, you don't have to do those classes. You will see change in your body. Like I want to start a seminar or something for people (laughs) to understand that you really do not have to do like orange theory and Barry's camp twice a day to see changes, which I was definitely in that camp before Australia. I feel like you need a billboard. You need to, you need to get this information out there. That is why I'm having people like you on the podcast, because I feel like if I say it, people are like, oh, well, that's just you, your body, (laughs) which, which could be true. But I'm like, if you are one of those people like me that was doing like 14 classes a week, that's actually how many classes I was doing, not of orange theory, but spinning yoga, personal training, whatever. Like I was obsessed and I wasn't seeing changes in my body. And I'm like, why is that? And I think people like you help us understand, oh, well, probably those cycles and those hormones may be the issues that you're you're not working with your system. Exactly. Yeah. I know that someone just had a, a mind-blowing moment in you saying that. So <laughs> this is good. I hope so. Actually, that brings me to a question of like, what is your favorite either client story or personal story where you see a hormone balance that really changed them for the better? Mm. You know, I think often some of the the best healers or people that have the most passion for this work are the people that have gone through it themselves. And so um, a few years ago, I was healing my own hormones as well after, you know, burning out in the corporate world, but then coming into entrepreneurship and doing the same thing, kind of the workaholic mentality, go, 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 more is better. You know, if you're taking a day off, that's wasted time. You could be making money. Um, and obviously that does not pan out well when you do that for months at a time. And so I hit my own brick wall of healing and, um, my hormones were all over the place. I was extremely bloated. I looked like I was pregnant. My low belly was so distended, um, super irregular digestion, eczema, and, uh, you know, very like big hormonal imbalances. And so for me starting to heal my gut and heal my hormones was doing less eating less food and making it simpler food, working out far less and opting for walks, um, doing less work. And it was so astounding to me, like you shared Chelsea, that 
the less I did, the more benefit I saw. The more I saw my belly bloat disappear, the more I felt my energy levels come back, my period regulate again. And it was such a testament to really, again, the idea of the feminine in general. And the feminine asks us to honor ourselves, to honor the changes, to allow softness and surrender versus the masculine, which is the go, 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 make it happen, hustle. And so it was such like a beautiful lesson, A, to understand what my clients go through, but B, to also see, again, the power of slowing down. Yes. I feel like that is such a good theme, like the power of slowing down, especially now, like we are being forced to slow down. So why not take an inner look and see what that's doing for you? Exactly. Exactly. Funny that you say that I'm seeing so many beautiful results with my clients right now because they're like, all I have to do is be home and like take the supplements you told me to. And uh, so they're like thriving right now, which is so funny. Oh, I love that. That's so good to hear. I want to move into rapid fire questions, which are basically, I will just ask you and you answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. What are you currently reading? I'm finally reading educated like two years after everyone else. I haven't even heard of it. So (laughs) I'm going to be reading it. Making me feel better. (laughs) What workouts do you personally do? I actually, I'm like secretly an old person. I love just going for like a 60, 90 minute walk slash hike every single day. Love that. What's your favorite brand right now? Hmm. I am loving, um, I'm actually like really obsessed with this brand called Siete. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they make the most amazing, um, organic food options that are like grain free and like good for anyone that has inflammation or has had gut issues. And it's like the most delicious thing in the world. No, no. Where can we find that? Your local health food store. (laughs) Okay. I'm in Australia, so I'm going to have to check that out, but (laughs) right. I don't know. Sounds amazing. What about your skincare routine? Hmm. I've just started to really get into Acure. And so I love their toner. I love their um, brightening cream every single day. I like all natural holistic products. And sometimes it's hard to find holistic stuff that actually works really good. And their stuff is amazing. If you could only bring three things on a trip with you, what would you pack? I think I would pack a book. And Which book? Which book? Oh, oh. Eat, pray, love. I'm just kidding. No. Um, that's probably a good one. (laughs) It is a good trip book. You know, I, I think I would have to bring something new, something to keep me amused, um, to keep it fresh. Uh, I would definitely bring my partner because I would miss him. Um, and I think I would bring some sort of, I'm like, uh, I don't know. This kind of shows the workaholic part of me, but I'm like, I need to bring a project. I need to bring something to do and contribute. So there you go. Okay. And a project. What about something people don't know about you that you wish they knew about you? I think often, especially online, when we look at people and, uh, you know, we see their glamorous side or their social media side, we think like, wow, they've got it all together. You know, they're doing so great. Life must be so easy for them. And, um, I wish people, you know, would recognize everyone's backstory, including mine, you know, but everyone's really, Uh, And recognize that it's taken a large amount of effort for all of us to get here. And we also don't have it all figured out. We're just doing our best. Amen. I feel like everyone is winging it. That is (laughs) like 
<laughs> I saw that um, in a in a graphic, and it was like everyone is just winging it. And now that I'm like really deep into this world, I'm like, it's actually true. Everyone is just constantly <laughs> winging it. It totally is. Yeah. What is something we didn't get to talk about today that you would want the audience to know more about? I just want to offer permission to anyone listening to this to listen to their own bodies, to slow down when they feel the call to, and to allow themselves to be their greatest advocate. So rather than giving your power away to anyone else, another doctor, a friend, your mom, anyone, listen to your own innate wisdom and make an empowered choice from that. Love that. What about your biggest learning experience? Oh my gosh. I feel like there's so many. And just when you feel like you have it all figured out, it's like, no, here's another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think one of my biggest lessons has been to allow space for beautiful things to come your way. Um, there's a lot of, I think, wisdom and learning to go with the flow, to allow things to come to you and not need to micromanage everything. Yes. Oh my gosh. The power of not micromanaging <laughs> is life changing. Yeah. <laughs> What is your favorite resource to go back to when you're feeling out of alignment? I'm such a big journaler. So anytime I feel like I'm in my head or I'm struggling or I'm, you know, having imposter syndrome or whatever may be coming up, the best thing for me is to get it out on a piece of paper. Because once you get it out and you look at it, you're like, why do you think that? That's like the silliest thing ever. You know, it like allows you to feel more rationally about the whole thing. I'm obsessed with journaling. So I'm glad you feel the same way. (laughs) Yeah. What is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Hmm. To be the dumbest person in the room, meaning surround yourself with people that inspire you that are doing what you want to do and get in those circles. Amazing. I just learned that this year, which is funny because I feel like that quote is, you know, you read that basically in college. And it's not until you get into the real world that you actually start experiencing it where you're like, oh, yeah, I do (laughs) wish I hung out with like people that knew more than me instead of constantly. And again, it's not smart in like book smart, like you're saying, people that inspire you. Maybe someone's just really good with finances. Maybe someone's really good at being a mom. Like it doesn't need to be, oh, they're a CEO at a tech company because I feel like that is the misconception. Exactly. Exactly. Are there any last words or thoughts or anything that you want the audience to know? That your body is amazing. Your cycles are so cool. And that hopefully this gave everyone kind of a foundation to begin to look at their bodies a little bit different, to have a little more awareness around it and to have that permission to listen and to see what lies beneath the surface. Love that. And what about if people want to specifically work with you or find you? How can they get, how can they get in touch? Yeah, they can find me at www.cassandrawilder.com. And I'm also on Instagram at menstruation queen. Love that. Love that <laughs> handle. Yeah. <laughs> menstruation queen. That is very easy to find. You know, it's like either people love it or they're very repelled. It works really good. Well, we definitely know what your topics are about. You can't be missed <laughs> <over> there. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you so much for tuning into that really valuable conversation with Cassandra. I know I learned a ton. I think this is one that I have to go back and take some serious notes and start evaluating what parts of my day or lifestyle that I feel like I'm imbalanced because it might be my hormones. 
If you found value, let me know what your favorite part was. You can comment on my Instagram, which is nonexpertopinionpod, or DM me. You can write into the podcast, hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com, or you can visit the website inmynonexpertopinion.com. Also, quickly, if you wanted to try any yoga with me, my handle is yogagirlnextdoor, and the website is just yogagirlnextdoor.com. All right, guys, see you next week.